This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 17th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. It's past time for the U.S. to divorce itself from the priorities of Saudi Arabia. After the likely murder of a well-regarded Washington Post journalist, possibly at the direction of Saudi officials, Cato's Emma Ashford says it's again a good time to take stock of the U.S.-Saudi relationship. There are various terms of art that are thrown around with respect to relations between the U.S. and other countries. The U.S. and Israel have, I think, a special relationship. Uh, U.S. and Britain, I think they also have a special relationship. What is the term of art that we ought to apply to the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia? Well, uh, I think all countries tend to call it the special relationship with the United States. Um, as someone that grew up in Britain, obviously, we tend to think of ours as the special relationship, so it's different. But the fact is that those words are pretty meaningless. What actually matters is that the US and Saudi Arabia have this long-running partnership. Call it partnership, call it an alliance, call it whatever you want. It may technically not be an alliance, but the US has had really strong relations with the Saudis going all the way back to World War II. Uh, so... With the recent, I mean, the guy's dead, we know that much, uh, Mr. Khashoggi, uh, who is employed by a U.S. newspaper, and uh, it seems clear that there may have been some involvement uh, that with the Saudi government with his capture and possible torture and possible murder. So uh, he was a U.S. person. It wasn't a U.S. citizen. As you noted before we started recording, he did have a green card and he was employed by a major media outlet in the United States. What do you make of that with respect to the, the longer standing relationship that the U.S. has with Saudi Arabia? Well, it kind of depends who you ask because the White House seems to be taking the stance that um, Jamal Khashoggi was not a US person, that it didn't really matter that he was a permanent resident. He was in Turkey, he was a Saudi citizen, and therefore it's not their concern what happens to him. I think there are a lot of people here in Washington and elsewhere that would be very concerned and are very concerned about that interpretation of how we define a US person. Um, but the fact is that Jamal Khashoggi was actually intimately tied into the elite class here in Washington, right? He wrote for the Washington Post, a major newspaper. He was about to take up an appointment at the Wilson Center, a think tank here in town. He appeared on panels. He, uh, he was just part of the broader foreign policy community talking about Saudi affairs. And so, when he disappeared, it hit home for a lot of people in Washington in a way that I think a lot of other Saudi abuses haven't. And so what we're seeing is a lot of people in Washington suddenly questioning whether this partnership with Saudi Arabia is really all it's cracked up to be or whether events like this, the, the apparently brutal killing of, of a US-linked journalist, does that imply that we shouldn't be working with the Saudis? Okay. So with respect to Saudi Arabia and human rights, um, the United States should have plenty to be upset about. Uh, it, they have a long history of, of civil rights abuses. Uh, so this, if I understand your point correctly, it's that we already have enough information to say that the Saudi-US relationship ought to be dissolved. And this is the cherry on the sundae. 
Oh, absolutely. So you look at Saudi Arabia's actions in its region, you look at their human rights abuses, they've committed war crimes in Yemen, they've backed extremist groups in Syria, they were intimately involved in putting down some of the pro-democracy uprisings of the Arab Spring. You know, They sent tanks across the border into Bahrain to crush a pro-democracy uprising there. So they do not have a good human rights record. Um, Jamal Khashoggi is not even the first dissident that they have either kidnapped and returned to Saudi Arabia or that has disappeared. Um, Even members of the royal family that live outside Saudi Arabia that speak out against the government have found themselves sort of mysteriously returned to Saudi Arabia over the last few years. My my favourite example is the one where the prince suddenly realised that his plane was not landing in Cairo, it was landing in Riyadh. And there were armed Saudi flight attendants who subdued his entourage and then he was taken off to house arrest. So this is not a new development for the regime. It's just the fact that the victim was somebody that was so well known in the West. Part of the relationship, at least traditionally, was oil. Uh, The United States had not yet discovered uh, new ways to create energy as we have in recent years. How did that drive the, I guess, pleasantness that the United States delivered to Saudi Arabia for so long and How has that changed? During the Cold War, I'd say, our relationship with the Saudis was very much about oil, right? We imported a fair amount of oil from Saudi Arabia, and more than that, they were very much responsible for making sure that the global energy supply was secure, the prices didn't get too out of whack. After the Cold War, since the Cold War, we've also come to view them as security partners in the region. But in both cases, those things that were true decades ago are no longer really true. Um, So the US now is producing a lot of its own energy. We're not as dependent on Saudi imports. The world market is structured differently than it used to be. So it's much, much harder for countries like Saudi Arabia to disrupt oil like they did in the 1970s. And from a security point of view, it's not at all clear that Saudi foreign policy is actually good for America now, rather than actually being somewhat disruptive in the region and destabilizing things. So our relationship has changed over time, or the reasons for that relationship has have changed. The relationship itself has not quite caught up to that. Uh, Donald Trump, um, uh, more than President Obama, really makes a big deal out of uh, protecting Israel and getting tough on Iran. What is the impact that our relationship with Saudi Arabia has on on those priorities that he has? This is kind of where it gets interesting because there's been a lot of confusion, I'd say, in the press about why the Trump administration is so unwilling to call out Saudi Arabia on this apparent crime. Um, And, you know, there's a couple of explanations, right? So one is that Saudi businesses have probably invested in Trump businesses. So there are some personal ties there. But the Iran policy is the other big one. Um, The Saudis have been helping the US with a very hardline policy, pushing back against Iran. That's what this White House really wants to do. The Saudis have been getting increasingly friendly with Israel over the last few years, which is, again, helpful both for pushing back against Iran and for this White House deciding that it really likes the Saudis and what they're doing right now. And so basically, in order to criticize Saudi Arabia right now, the Trump administration would really have to abandon what it's doing in foreign policy more broadly in the region. And I think particularly the fact that we have a looming deadline on November 4th where oil sanctions kick back in on Iran and the Trump administration wants the Saudis to help stabilize the price of oil, that's really got to be weighing on their decision making. 
To the extent Saudi Arabia and the United States share a goal of taking a harder line on Iran, why do we need to be such great friends if we both just have this shared interest? You know, it's interesting because I'm not even sure we have this shared interest. Um, we talk as if the U.S. needs Saudi Arabia because we need to take a hard line against Iran in the region. But actually, to a large extent, the reason we're taking a hard line on Iran is because we want to support U.S. partners in the region. It's a self-licking ice cream cone. So if we actually want to have a better, less disruptive Middle Eastern foreign policy, we might want to think about backing away from the Saudis reopening diplomatic relations with the Iranians and trying to come to something more of a balanced foreign policy, not one that's just looking at the Saudis and saying, oh, well, we've got to cooperate with them because we always have. Emma Ashford is a co-host of the Power Problems podcast here at the Cato Institute. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>